stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. Howdy and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. Now, in two days' time, it's Christmas Day for those people who celebrate Christmas and often, well, not often, but sometimes somebody will give somebody a puppy or a kitten for Christmas. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad idea. What I am saying is a bad idea is that sometimes they're very, very cute as a puppy, but once they become not a puppy anymore, we don't think they're cute and they end up in the pound. And I think that sucks. Now, today I am uh, talking to an amazing woman, Billy Groom, and she is a dog behaviorist and she is also the creator of Upward Dogology, and she uses canine cognitive behavioral therapy to actually help dogs, and in particular, adolescent dogs, and, you know, trying to save their life and trying to stop them from being put into pounds or from being euthanized. So I'm just putting this one out right on Christmas because I think it's just that time of year when uh, getting a puppy does happen. So please listen to this. Please really get into um, the amazingness of dogs and the amazingness that dogs can be if we learn to understand their behavior. Um, I've, I've absolutely loved doing this. And yes, I go down a rabbit hole, but I always bloody do. And you know how much I love animals. So therefore, I'm going down the rabbit hole full force. So let's get into it. And don't blame Billy for my bad behavior. So welcome, Billy. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Ah, it's my absolute pleasure. You know, I say that to everyone. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I, I honestly absolutely love chatting with so many amazing people. And as we were talking about before we got on, it, it there's so many varied subjects and so many, you know, just varied topics to inspire people to take action. And, you know, I, I love what you're doing. I can't wait to unpack it. I love what you're doing. I think the podcast is is awesome and it's just it is inspiring. I yeah, some of your guests are wow, wow, just amazing. Well, let's have the mutual admiration society. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. We're done. That's it. Oh, yay! <laughs> yay! Everybody just listen to all the all the the episodes and you'll be inspired. There we go. <laughs> I love it. Now, yours um You've got an amazing story. I, I found you on LinkedIn just by accident through another animal animal advocate uh, friend of mine, and, and then I saw you commenting on something, or she might have shared one of your posts. I thought, wow, who is this woman? What's she doing? And, you know, I, I love what you're doing because one of my biggest, oh, God, you know, uh, the, the thing that 
hurts my heart the most is how many dogs are in pounds, you know, and and how many dogs are given up and and oh, you know, we've mm-hmm. we've got we've got two rescues here and they're not easy, you know, when you first get them. There's a there's a lot of work to do, but Oh, I just can't. I, I, it breaks my heart seeing them in pounds. So the work that you do is absolutely critical. And um, I don't know. I know you can't save them Thank all. Thank you. Excuse me. Sorry, I just got a it's little right. frog in my throat. Um, yeah, well, I appreciate that because I know you are a huge animal lover. You have a small arc of your own. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. It's a challenging it's a challenging industry because it is it is failing the dogs. It's a broken system and it's failing the dogs. And to be able to have this, <clears throat> oh my gosh, solution that I just created um, over the last three decades has really, yeah, it's really been quite the journey. Yeah, yeah. The, the, this solution I created, just created over the, it sounds like you just did it last year, over the last three decades. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah, it. I know. It's <laughs> well, it has been a journey. I I started three and a half decades ago. I I guess, yeah, around there. Um just rescuing dogs, like a lot of people do. You know, they're just interested and they go to their shelter, they rescue dogs, and then that developed. I was actually in the States. I'm Canadian. Yeah. Um, but I was in the States with my boyfriend at the time and <clears throat> we were sort of traveling in this renovated bus and we took in these dogs and had sort of an unintentional rescue. And then I came back to Canada and I started a business in the industry, pet care, which was quite, it's now it's super popular, but back then it was pretty revolutionary. And I just noticed that a lot of people struggled with that adolescent dog. So sort of six months to two years. And that is what I focus on, which happens to be a lot of when the dogs are given up and surrendered. And that just kind of, it sort of stuck with me as, you know, why are people so challenged with this stage? Why is everything go well during puppyhood and common methods work well and dogs get house trained and people are good. And then all of a sudden they hit that adolescent stage and what they were doing doesn't work and dogs get given up and, and, or they just come right in off the street and, and, People will adopt puppies, you know, puppies are cute and, and which is all dogs are cute. All dogs are cute, but um, they're a little bit nervous to take in those adolescent dogs. So I just really focused on them and I tried to figure out why they were so challenging. So I connected with rescue organizations and, and took in these dogs and, and literally learned this method from hundreds of dogs from bringing in these dogs. And I learned how to, I never studied to be a behaviorist or a trainer. My goal was to figure out a solution so that there weren't so many people challenged by these dogs and we can understand them better. And that is what I did. And I created a a method, an actual method that's grounded in cognitive behavioral therapy, although I didn't know that at the time. (laughs) Um, But it's called Upward Dogology, which is an acronym. It stands for Urban People with Adolescent and Rescued Dogs. 
And that's exactly what I deal with. So when I say urban, I mean, they don't have to live right in a city, but they live an urban lifestyle with their dog. You know, they treat them like family. The dogs around the house, they do things with them, take them to their kids' events and things like that. Um, And then the dogs are either adolescent or they're rescued or both. And they're dogs, not puppies. And that became upward dogology. And it shaped my whole unintentional career path. I love it. And I, I agree with you. One, one of my biggest bug, one of my big bugbears, see, I've got tons of bugbears. I'm one of these people that have a lot of bugbears and I don't, I don't mind bloody sharing them either. <laughs> I often end up down rabbit burrows sure. and sharing my opinion. But, you know, it's it, it's I used to have a T-shirt that said a dog is for life, not just for Christmas. You know, and I used to always wear it at Christmas. Eventually it wore out and I can't get another one. But it's it's. I, I get so frustrated with people like, oh, I just get a cute puppy for Christmas, you know, and then it, and then particularly now it's Christmas time, so I'm going to make sure this goes up yeah. you know, at Christmas so I can buddy talk about this in the intro and outro and make sure we <laughs> tell people. You go, oh, girl. <laughs> God damn it, if you get a puppy for Christmas or don't buy one, like just don't freaking get one. Do You, you know, it, by the time this hits, it's going to be too late. People have already found one. But, you know, if you get a, do- a puppy for Christmas, it's going to turn into an adolescent and it's going going to turn into an adult dog and they're not as cute as puppies i think they are but but this is we've got to stop this mentality about oh just get a little cute puppy because it's kind of like when someone has a baby you know we ha- they have a baby and it's everyone's like oh it's a cute little puppy i'm um, keep doing that voice and then it turns into a teenager and we want to kill it but we don't. We don't send the teenagers to a buddy pound, you know. But but we, for some reason we can't handle the dogs, and uh, and I believe dogs should be part of your family. And if they're if you got them chained up out the back, or if you're not interacting with them, you shouldn't bloody have one. But anyway, now I've had my opinion. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's totally great. I think I think it's interesting though. If I <laughs> sort of be a little bit of the devil's advocate on this, just being in the industry, but. I guess I see because clients hire me. So I see the people that try. I, you know, the people that hire me are the ones that don't want to give up, right? They're the ones that, um, you know, there's got to be something different out there. There's got to be something that's going to work with my dog. So I see these people. So I think what happens a lot is, and we don't have the stats on these. Um, I've tried to get the stats. It's a bit challenging. Um, I can from rescue organizations. It's a bit challenging from shelters because they're just not open. But um, how many people, when they do surrender or give up on their dog, how many people have had trainers? They've tried things. So I'm talking behavioral um, surrender or euthanasia, not anything else, because that's you know my area of expertise. Mm. So yes, they become adolescent dogs and people get frustrated and they surrender. But the question is why? Why are these people feeling like they have to surrender? Why are they feeling like it's their only option? It's quick to blame them and to say they're not patient. But 98% of my clients have hired one to three certified trainers. Mm -hmm. And it's not that those trainers were bad. They're good trainers. It's that the method doesn't work for the dog. Mm. The method works during puppyhood and then based on brain development and the way that an adolescent dog, just like with children, 
right? They change and they grow and we have to adapt our parenting styles and we have to grow with the children. So the method that is in mainstream dog training is conditioning and it's scientifically proven, counter conditioning, classical conditioning, um, operant, operant's the most common. So they do work, they are effective, but it has been scientifically proven that the way the dog's brain develops in the adolescent stage, they're not going to be as effective. Mm. And this is what CBT, when it does kick in. So when when it's, you know, I, I feel a little bit for some of these people who, you know, you're not patient enough or you're not giving it enough time. A lot of them have tried everything that they've been told, you know, and a lot of them, unfortunately, feel forced to kind of go to that dark side and use some maybe not great methods or an e-collar or something that they don't really want to, but they feel like, you know, a prong collar, or some stuff that they they don't want to. And by the time they find me and contact me, they're they're feeling really crappy. They're like, I got I gotta do something. Mm. So, you know, it's sort of that side of is the system failing the people and then blaming the people for failing the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. a long, a long way of working around that. But yeah. that's what I see. No, I get that. And you've you've pulled me up and you've made me rethink. I'm gonna rethink that about all the other all the other reasons. I think I'm just talking about a handful of people that I I know, you know, who just say, ah, can't be stuff. And they get the staffies, the bulldogs, you know, the people sure. they, they buy them and then they're like, uh, no, I don't want to do it anymore, you know. So I'm talking about the ones who totally. don't buy, you know, the, and and the, the totally yeah. and it and and they do, you're right. They say things like, Oh, he grew. I mean, who gets a great Dane and then doesn't realize that the dog's going to grow? <laughs> yeah, grow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, they'll they'll come up with, no, oh, it doesn't fit my lifestyle, or I can. It sounds like they're lazy, but really, those all go back to behavioral. Because a big dog isn't big if they're if they're fitting into your family and you can take them places and walk them and do things with them and include them in. But it's when when people can't include them into their lifestyle, they have to walk their dog separate from their child because their dog reacts and their, you know, their yeah. their child's in a stroller, so they can't manage. And then they can't leave because the dog has separation anxiety. So they have to take their dog, but then it's not good in the car. It so it yeah, that's that's it like, sounds yeah. as though yeah. that again, and maybe I'm defending people too much. And again, I I think people I, and trust me, I'm not a all people are great. I, I'm I'm devil's advocate all time. And I'm I don't think everything's perfect and that people are great. And I know firsthand that there's horrible people out there that they suck and they're lazy. But a lot of it is I think people just feeling like they they they're out of options they they yeah. put the dog in the garage they've tied the dog up outside they don't know what to do yeah yeah that's a very long and deep conversation isn't it because yeah. it, it depends on so many so many variations and uh, you know yeah. just I'm just thinking of one of one of our dogs in it um you know I won't go into it but basically was um just an indoor dog and then thrown out in the backyard for a year when a baby came along and and it took us yeah. it took us a year to even get her to be able to look us in the eye properly do you know it she was um so like that's amazing that you that you did that for a year 
like, yeah. sorry to interrupt, but that, you know, you're right. A lot of people would give up on that dog, but on the same note, it's unfair that people have to spend a year and unfair. Personally, I think it's unfair to the dog too, yeah. because I, the method I use is far quicker. Dogs yeah. integrate quickly. Um, they bond. It's all about bonding and integrating quickly and getting over that anxiety and getting over those issues. And it is, it is remarkable that you lasted a year and you didn't give up, but we can realistically see that a lot of people wouldn't. And it's, again, it's, that, that can be an awful lot to ask of somebody. Mm, yeah. Well, they she shouldn't give up. She's a beautiful dog. I, I said from day one, wow, this, <laughs> this dog's going to be hard work. But I said, she, I know she's going to be an amazing dog when she comes out the other side. You know, I just saw yeah. it in, and she is. She is just one, one, one super, super, yeah. super amazing dog. We're all in love with her, you know, but. I'm so wow. impressed. Anyway. I'm so happy for you both. Oh, me too. Now, you said, you, you know, you didn't have any formal training. And there, did you, do you, when you first started this and you tried to bring it into, because this this happens with a lot of people that I talk to with Get Off the Bench. Um, I, I'm not qualified, so they get all this imposter syndrome. Do you know, there's other people out there who are qualified. Therefore, no one's going to listen to me, you know, and, and they stop their business. Did you have to push through people saying, um, who are you? Where did you turn up from? You know, your method is shit. You just made this up. Like, did you, did you have to push through a lot of that yeah. stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's an unregulated industry. So anyone can wake up and call themselves a dog trainer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that when I started. I never intended to be a behaviorist or a trainer. So when I started to realize that I had this method that was working really well, especially with aggression and anxiety, adopted dogs, or like I said, the dogs that People had had from puppyhood, but were challenged at a lesson. And I, I started to look into what regular dog trainers were doing simply because rescues were getting hold of me thinking, can, can you work with this dog? You know, we've had them returned a couple of times or, you know, we've had calls from people and they want to surrender their dog to us. Can we just tell them to call you? So I, I became a trainer based on that. Mm. And my biggest supporters at the time were clients. And it was this great relationship because I was developing it as I'm working with clients. And then I started to study because clients would say to me that they had had other trainers. So they were talking to me about the methods that were in mainstream dog training, which I have to say has developed a lot. So it's moved a lot away from the negative and the positive reinforcement training has developed and it is great. But I wanted to know why what I was doing was different. Yeah. So I did study what they did. And um, I, I think what happened was there was this division between, um, you know, you've got your season Milan, you've got your fear-free movement without getting too much into it. But the industry is interesting. So what happened is the fear-free movement um, expanded immensely, which is great because it pulled a lot of people over from some, and I'm not saying all of season Milan is negative at all. I'm just saying that there were these two di divisions mm -hmm. and um, 
So then it became all these trainers got these certifications in positive reinforcement training or in conditioning methods, which is not what I do. But I didn't really know that at the time. I knew what I was doing was different. So I talked to psychologists and I talked to um, veterinarians. And it was actually psychologists that said to me, and, and they were clients, and there's there were clients that I had that were really knowledgeable in CBT, even if they were social workers or worked with children, addiction counseling, this kind of thing. And they were the ones who said, what, what you're doing is cognitive behavioral therapy. It, it doesn't follow the platform of conditioning methods. Mm. So that right there divided me in my industry, mm. right? I, I can't go get their certifications because their certifications aren't in what I do. Yeah. And also, it again, as I'm still working through this, I'm not, I'm not saying I want to be a behaviorist. I want my method to save dogs and to be part of mainstream dog education so that people have options depending yeah. on a number of different factors, the age of the dog, not so much the issue. I think, um, you know, other methods can address anxiety and aggression, but during that adolescent stage, CBT works best. So yeah. with every dog all the time, but you need these options. So my goal has been to introduce it. And yes, that's where the closed doors come. Yeah. Because the industry is making a lot of money off of trainers taking all their courses on conditioning methods or what they teach. And, you know, there's ego. Yeah. <laughs> there's, you know, and this has been a lot of a learning curve for me because It's really, for me, just about people having those options so that dogs mm. live and people are happy and they get into homes and they can overcome anxiety and aggression in particular. So I don't know if I answered that question, but yes, there are a lot yeah, of closed doors, but there's the reason I continued is simply because of the support I have from mostly rescue organizations, clients, people with dogs, and veterinarians. Veterinarians are interesting. Behavioral veterinarians, not so much because they are, again, part of that system yeah. that says you have to do conditioning methods. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, the science, I went ahead and scientifically proved it on my own, mostly uh, a big part of scientifically proving a methodology is application. Yeah. So about 200 clients a year. And those clients include veterinarians. I have veterinarians for clients. I have, uh, you know, animal experts for clients. And right down to, to people who are new to having a dog. But what happened is about 200 clients per year for over a decade. They're coming to me. Mm. It's hard to give it up. It's hard yeah. to say, you know, you're getting closed doors from an industry that doesn't want change and doesn't want, so they do probably want solutions, but they don't want to learn them from me because who yeah. the hell is Billy Graham? Yeah. How can she possibly know this? But learning, I mean, you take Jane Goodall. Yes, she has, you know, highly, uh, she, she has, sorry, certifications from degrees from schools mm -hmm. now, but when, when she learned, she learned from the animals, she learned hands-on yeah. from the animals. And so many people have, 
So many people have learned their profession and learned what they know just from doing it, from being immersed in it, grassroots, right? I don't think they should feel like imposter syndrome. The only time you should feel imposter syndrome is if what you're doing isn't working, Mm. you know, or what you're doing isn't needed. And it, what I do is needed and it is effective. Yeah. And I love what you're saying about uh, you learn from application. You know, I've been teaching and training for nearly 20 years, you know, and it's, I can, I can give a whole lot of information. And if someone's just sitting there listening to my information, they're not going to retain that at all. It's not going to happen. But if they apply it, that's when, yeah. that's when all the learning's done. I love that. Now you, um, you seem to have this affiliation with uh, adolescents and you, you've got this, I don't know, you've got this kind of a connection with the dogs. You know, you've obviously got a connection or you wouldn't be able to, you, you would they wouldn't have been able to just work with you and blend with you straight away so that you could all learn, learn all this other stuff. I'm going to say the name Peter Gibson. Now, mm. you know, mm. I... You're writing a book at the moment, you know, and you you sent me uh, just one little chapter, and it's I, I, it reduced me to tears, you know, and and I I just oh. sometimes think how how do people, I mean, you know, about resilience and optimism, people pick themselves up, and some people don't, you know, and it's it's you tell us a story because I just love the way that you it. it it meshes in with what you're doing now. So I don't know. He contacted you. you in 2020. Tell us about it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that because it was really, I never know whether to share that story or not. And like you said, I really only learned it in 2020. Peter Gibson called me. I, I didn't know who he was. It was just the phone rang in the day and I answered it thinking it was going to be someone about dog training. And he was very polite, very nice and mature man, I could tell. And he just, um, he asked me if he could ask me a personal question. Sure. I mean, I don't I don't have anything to hide. People can ask me anything they want to ask me. I'm going to tell them the truth. And it was the, the most si- simple question was just, you know, were you born with the name Leslie and were you born in Port Credit, Ontario? Yes. I mean, it's it's not something I share a lot, but it's not something I hide. He said that he found me on LinkedIn. And at that time, I had recently become active on LinkedIn. And he said, based on what I do for a living and just being so involved in animal activism and animal welfare and my last name, which was still groom at that time and and still is. And he said he thought I might be this person that he's been trying to find and get a hold of. And he wanted to tell me a story. And he name dropped some people from where we're from. He said he's from there as well. And when he name dropped these people, I could tell he was about 10 years older than I was. And and that gave me a little bit, okay, I mean, these people are good, good people. And he said um, when I was seven and he was 17, he had a family pet. His family was quite um successful and a, a well-known family in in this small town that I lived in and he had a dog and that dog you know dogs just even though they're the best dogs they just kind of take themselves for a walk one day even though his dog <laughs> never did that the dog's name was Flash but and it was a boxer cross just decided to take himself for a, a walk one day 
And so he had lost his dog. He was looking for his dog and the people in the community, you know, no Facebook pages back then of lost and lost and found pets. So it was just word of mouth. And I guess my parents had taken in his dog and were looking for who the owner was. So people had told him, you know, that my parents had his dog. So over he came to my house and uh, there was his dog and my parents on the, the porch and they were having this great chat and he just loved them. They all got along amazing. And I, and I asked him at that point, I said, was I there? Did you see me? And he said, well, I think you were, but you were really shy and, and you, you probably were there, but I didn't really notice. Okay. And that was like me. I was shy. I still am. And so he really had a bond and a connection with my parents. And so then he left. And the following night, my parents were killed by a drunk driver, which I knew when he was telling me this story. Um, but he said it really affected him. It really, really um, just really affected him. And the part that he wanted to tell me was that sometime after that, him and his buddies were playing football in the school yard and I had walked by and, and I was by myself and he knew it was me. He knew I saw him and he knew, you know, he saw me, but he didn't say anything. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know how to treat me or what to say. And he said nothing. And he has forever felt guilty about that. He's forever felt guilty that he didn't know how to communicate or relate to me. And even though I was the same little girl, I was, I was just, it was just a different situation. And he just really wanted to apologize for that. And he really wanted me to know that story. And for me, I'm still processing it, but it's interesting because I always f feel that people should know how to communicate. And somehow, I guess maybe I put that over to dogs, maybe because it had to do with flash. I don't know. But I think the whole thing is that when when somebody has a different background or a different upbringing or they're disadvantaged, it makes people feel uncomfortable and they don't know how to relate to them and they don't know how to talk to them and communicate or integrate them into their lives or and it, that was pretty much my whole upbringing from them. People just mm -hmm. treat you like you're differently. And and I guess maybe I took that over to dogs. And I just want people to, to have a way of bringing them into their home. Because I think a lot of people really do. They really want to bring these disadvantaged dogs into their home and into their life. And sometimes they're nervous to do that because they feel like mm -hmm. they can't or they don't know how to communicate. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what upward dogology is. It, it's it's a formula that allows you to, formula is such a strong word, but it's not just, you know, dogs are nice and pat them. It It is actually a way of doing that. And so Peter's story, I think, maybe for me, I'm still processing it, but it it connected a lot of dots. And I think that's why I did what I'd eat do why it was so important to me mm. and I met Peter I went to Toronto I had actually booked 
a flight to Toronto um, before that phone call with Peter. I had I was going for business reasons, and I hooked up with him, and and we met, and we had dinner, and we talked, and it was awesome. And we're still in touch. We're still in touch, mm-hmm. and he's yeah, one of my favorite people to talk to. What a story! Like I I think that. There's, I, I have, I have things from school, you know, and I wish. I, I remember I played at. Um, I used to play guitar, and I played at a um, place, a, a school reunion, and there was a, a my grade three, my yeah, my grade three, grade four teacher was there, and um, he said, I said, you know, you changed my life because I want to say oh. thank you because you you got me into guitar, you know, and and, and I've had many, many, many. You know, decades of singing, and it's because of you. You know, because you know you encourage me. And he, you know, what he said? He said, "I'm so so sorry." And I said, "No, I'm telling you a good story." And he said, (laughs) "No," he said, "That year, I let your level your your year level down." He said, "I had things going on in my life," and he said, "I I never gave as much as I should have to your year." And I said, "Oh." I never would have known that. And he said, really? And and I said, never would have known that. I thought you were just amazing. And he said, I've been carrying that for all these years. At that oh, my girl. goodness. And it was only because I said to him, you know, that I'm so thankful that he, and he was in tears. He said, I've, I've never been able to say it. And he said, so thank you for allowing me to say that. And he said, I've, I've it's wow. plagued me for, for decades, do you know, so... It's funny that guilt that oh. we, we carry and um, and at the end of the day mm-hmm. we carry it. You would never have known that Peter was, like it wasn't bothering you that he didn't say no anything. and No, not at all. Not at all. And no. And I think, I think when people I, do struggle with how to connect with, with other people in situations, it's not their fault. And same with dogs when they can't, it's not their fault. They need skills and tools to do that. They need a direction and, and how to do that. And I think a lot of people would step out of their comfort zone, whether it's uh, with dogs or whether it's with children or whether it's with people with, you know, disabilities or what, whatever mm-hmm. that is important to them when they have the skills and tools to help those, a lot of people will. And that's really my goal is to, to share this with people that, that really want to make a difference in animal welfare because they need this, they need this skill. It needs Mm. to be, to be out there. Um, And, and it's interesting. There was another woman who's, who I've known since um, kindergarten and on that same trip that I met Peter, I hooked up with her and her and I have been, I mean, we've always been friends as such, but we've been in and out of friends. We're very, very different people, extremely different. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to get together and, and we just had a blast. We went to a bar and and we went to this bar. <laughs> we had a blast, but she, you know, she said, I do. I want to apologize too. She said, I, I treated you terribly a lot. It, it, often it, it was more important to me to be popular and to be part of the popular crowd and I've never been I've never been part of the popular crowd I've always just done my own thing and and um 
and she she apologized. It was a, really quite a dramatic trip on that on that yeah. level. But is it is it is interesting to to have those. You know, I'm almost fifty seven, so and that was twenty twenty. So to have all of that come around and to really be able to put it into perspective and. Mm. Yeah. I don't think I don't think we'll ever finish. I think that for the for the whole of our lives, we need to be open to these kind of um, you know things coming up. And we're always I think we think we know our life, our, our life, and then we're like, well, now that just threw me a curveball, and I didn't know that. Oh my goodness, absolutely. Tell us about cog, um, cog, well cognitive behavioral therapy but you've put the canine in the front of it as well so to just ex- for anybody who's not familiar with that just explain what that is I was going to well, say I was going to say briefly I, but I don't know there is- I know is <laughs> um it is it's interesting working with people using cognitive behavioral therapy because as we start to do it and they start to apply it with their dog and they see the changes there are so many people that come, oh, I do know it, or I've been struggling with this, or I had issues and and they see it and they relate to it. So I do think a lot of people, particularly maybe in the last five years, it's become, or maybe 10 years, it's become more okay to talk about um, problems that we have or issues that we're overcoming yeah. and to have this approach in the workplace and in schools and Mm -hmm. with your children. And that's what cognitive behavioral therapy, it sounds so serious, but it's, it's actually an approach that is used to in, in people it's scientifically proven to rehabilitate habits and anxieties, um, keep saying um but they it, it, it it's across the board it's my I have a I have an older blind deaf dog and right now she's she's walking around and trying to to uh get herself comfortable so half my brain is on whether my little well she's not little she's quite large from the streets of Costa Rica just making sure that she's happy and I think we all know when half our brain is on something else yeah <laughs> so squirrel this is when I want to say squirrel you know with the dogs it's like squirrel and our brain goes over here but mm-hmm. it, you know something like um PTSD something like that eating disorders mm-hmm. so cognitive behavioral therapy is different than conditioning methods conditioning methods are in intended to teach right from wrong. Yeah. That's what they're intended to do. It's why so through reinforcements. So you get a good reinforcement, you're more inclined to do that behavior than if you get a negative reinforcement. And I I'm not going to get into how that's done and what's right and wrong in the dog world. Yeah. But that as a psych, psychological a psychology-based methodology. Yeah. That's how it's intended to do counter conditioning changes behavior through association and desensitization. Yep. Cognitive behavioral therapy changes perception first, which is what I love about it. It assumes that you have an opinion and that you have feelings based on learned behavior, based Mm -hmm. on experiences. 
And instead of taking the approach of having, you know, conditioning methods recondition, that's what they do. Cognitive behavioral therapy provides the skills to have them make that decision on their own. Mm, yeah. To just realize that and make that decision on your own and to to understand that your brain doesn't have to go into panic. Yeah. Understand that you don't have to rely on aggressive measures in order to be mm. okay or to achieve your goal. Yeah. There's no reinforcements. It's a very challenging part for the animal behavioral world to understand because they are told that dogs need to have a reinforcement, that they need to be conditioned. They do if you're using conditioning methods. That's how conditioning methods work. But if you use CBT, you don't need reinforcements. It's a whole different platform. It's a whole different way of working with them. So you're, you're establishing skill sets that reset the brain. And once the brain is reset, which is what's so challenging in adolescence, it's like teenagers. <laughs> it's like when you get people in that teenager stage where they, they're they making decisions before they're processing. Yeah. You know, their their brain isn't working quick enough. There's a, And this is as well, I've studied the neuroscience of, not to the same level as neuroscientists, but taking courses on canine neuroscience. And there's a lack of connectivity between the parts of the brain that allow the brain to stop, reset, process, and make a better decision. Yeah. That's what cognitive behavioral therapy does. So when you hear people say that they need to just be patient with their dog in the adolescent stage, what those professionals are trying to do is get people to wait till dogs become two years old or so. Mm-hmm when those methods, conditioning methods kick in and they become effective based on brain development. But we have that whole adolescent stage where the psychology driving conditioning methods just don't mesh, for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. with what's happening in the brain. And that's why cognitive... So it's not just me saying that cognitive behavioral therapy is better. Mm -hmm. It, It depends on a lot of different factors. But we need to have all those tools in the toolbox to be able to work with dogs in a way that works with them yeah. best. Yeah. Oh, it's a it's a really, really, really deep conversation. But all of these things, every single every single thing we're talking about is a deep conversation. One of the things that you've um because I'm really interested in your work with rescue dogs, and it's not just the ones that are, you know, the urban dogs, you know, like that the, the people have got a dog and it turns to adolescent and they're like, oh, I don't know what to do with yeah. it, they get you in. You've worked with some um, things that I, I, I really struggle with. I know I've got to hold my opinion back sometimes, but I can't for this one. Go for, for it. Example, for example, the um, Galgos in Spain. Now, for anyone. Oh, yeah doesn't know they're hunting dogs and when they've done with them, they, they just hang them from a tree live and wait till they freaking die, like greyhounds kind of, that sort of dog. But it's um, uh, uh, disgust me. Um, the the Yulin Festival, which is, you know, just you can explain that, a, a dog meat trade, like these are cruel, cruel, cruel. Um, and there's no, um, this isn't about, somebody not having a better method or somebody you know not having a skill set this is just downright 
just disgusting cruelty. Now, how do these dogs even get rescued from these? Because because the the intention of the people handling them is to kill them like that they've and horribly like they're not they're not just um i'm going to say it sorry if this offends anyone they're not just shooting them in the head and and or giving them euthanasia they're letting them to die in in a, in a in the most horrible suffering so how do they even escape these people like how do how does one come along and say oh here's a dog that's halfway through death i might um just save it how, how does that even happen that they can be rescued Sorry if this is that is um, such a good question. And I'm gonna have to put is, it this, I'm gonna have to put at the start of this at the end. <laughs> Bloody, you know, warning. Anyway. I, I, yeah, my- it is. It's brutal to see. I've seen a lot of brutal things, but on the same oh. note, there are good people that do good. It really takes a village and my hat's off to some of these people. I mean, they're yeah. right in yeah. right in there. Um, yes, we and and I have as well. You, you, to get a dog, you yeah, it it can be challenging to do it legally. It can be scary to do it illegally, and it can be emotionally challenging to take mm. in these dogs. Mm. But yes, there's organizations, there's rescue organizations all over the world that get these dogs out of these really awful situations. Sometimes they just find them on the street. We just, um. Yeah, they can be hanging from a tree and people just go up and and get them. Sometimes those people that have the galgos, sometimes they will give them to the rescue organizations. So it's interesting because the battle here a lot is that the politics allow it to happen. Tradition allows it to happen. Money. Mm. So it's not simply that these people are assholes. It's part of the tradition, part of their culture. The the galgos that's considered a sport. It, they're hunting dogs. It's considered a sport. And if the dog loses, that is tradition to either drag it behind your vehicle through town or burn it. Or the the ones that are hung from higher up were better dogs. The ones lower on the tree because they scramble trying to to get to the ground, which is one inch from them. It's a terrible mentality. And yes, once they start doing it that way. Then it, then you're crossing the line where tradition and politics and sports, when it becomes cruelty, it it needs to go. It needs to mm. stop. That mm. we need to to be human here, and this is completely inhumane. So you do get these rescue organizations that know that they're going to be infiltrated with these dogs at the end of the hunting season, but it does take a lot of different people because we'll there there'll be rescue groups for example in the states or in Canada that have connections with these rescue groups and get them sent to mm-hmm. us and whether that's from all over the world so it it takes a village and it ta- and and this is what's so cool about your listenership right now if if they want to help they don't have to be on the ground doing that mm-hmm. they can be helping with coordinating transportation obviously funding <laughs> that's huge yeah. yeah getting funding spreading awareness sharing posts yeah writing articles photography you could have so many different skills that you can be a part of this solution but mm. yes the people that are right there i i have got in 
or I have worked with dogs. I picked them up right from the airport, straight out of the uh, meat market, the Korean meat market. And yeah, there's groups that just go in and, and they just slight, cause they're all, they're all piled. These dogs are piled hundreds of them into like fishnets or like mm. big netting. They'll just go chop them and the dogs run if they can run and get them. They get them. It's, it's, it's amazing what people do sometimes. I know. I, I've got a friend who was on a couple of um, episodes ago who works with um, Sea Shepherd, you know, and this. And oh, I love that. So do I. And, the, and the, this, the, I, I'm constantly saying to her, you, you, you're so courageous. And, you know, there are so many people out there who do put themselves on the front line, you know, with so much risk. And I've That's got, amazing. I've, I'm so, Paul got, Watson is one of my heroes for sure. Yeah. If I didn't get seasick, yeah, I'd be doing That's that. Right. I'm scared I could probably use CBT to get over my seasickness, yeah. right? Here I am going on. I should probably try to do that. But uh, yeah, seasickness is not fun. No, I'm the same. I'm the same. And I just think it's incredibly courageous. And and you're right. I, I help by giving money, buying T-shirts, you, you know, that that sort of stuff. There so I'm sharing posts. I'm having her on the podcast like you. And, you know, the, so I think we've all got ways to to help. You know, we don't Absolutely. get but when they when you get these dogs to work with, I mean, the trauma, it's it's they've been through exceptional trauma. And and even if you say, oh well, you know, they're hanging by a net and someone cut it and they escaped. You know, that's well, what trauma is there in that? Or and other than being hung by a net and being squashed by hundreds of other dogs, but a lot of them actually see the dog in front of them get slaughtered, get put into a hot, oh, yeah. you know. So there's a lot of these dogs are constantly watching other dogs being traumatised and murdered, you know, in right in front of them. If you get any of those dogs or when you get those dogs, how do they, like, is there much hope for them? How do they overcome that trauma? You know, I know I know your, your system works, but is it really hard to work with those traumatised ones, extra hard? Well, it really depends on so many different factors. It's amazing because some of them come right in, adapt right into their new life. They've lived on the street or they've been kept in these tiny cages, all sorts of horrific things. Uh, I've got in, in dogs and worked with dogs that were used as um, bait out oh. of the fighting system, which is terrible because in Northern Canada, that's uh, unfortunately, fairly common. Yeah. So we do. I do see a number of those. They and they 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 are their own being. They are their own dog. They have. They're just like people. So, for instance, we're working together, and usually the bond and the ability that goes quickly. That is a real part of CBT is creating that initial bond. But some of them might come around and think. Yeah, you know what? I like my house. I like my family. I'm okay walking by dogs on the street, but I don't want to go to the dog park. I'm not taking on any new dog friends right now. Mm, yeah. We can get it so that that dog will will like perhaps maybe the dog that's part of their family or the dog that's, you know, their best friend's dog. But aside from that, then it comes down to, to the, the people's goal. You know, is there a goal for that dog to like every single dog? Mm. You know, so it's, if it's not, 
I have statistics on hundreds and hundreds of dogs in the rehabilitation and the, and the success rate and what works and what doesn't and why and the different factors and all, you know, I, I'm also dealing with people. I obviously have had hundreds of dogs come into my care, but I work virtually mm. all over the world. So I'm dealing virtually with people to work with their dogs. So you've got a number of layers there. Yeah. So I'm not teaching these people cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm adhering to my method in order to provide them with the information they need. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Some apply it better than others. Some have, you know, sometimes I'm thinking, hmm, be interesting if this dog was in a home with another dog or with, without that dog, would there be these differences? But they, I mean, I do have a huge success rate. Absolutely. Mm. And majority, I would say over 75% of these people felt that they were going to have to rehome or euthanize their dog. And they don't. We've been mm. 0.2% in 10 years that, or even more than that, wow. that have it's wow. So there is a high success rate, yeah. but we have to be careful on success. You know, it depends on what their goal is. Mm. We have to realize that these dogs are, they have their own personalities as well, right? They mm. have their own personalities and what they want to do. And if people get too many rules set in their head, well, the dog is going to be in a crate when we leave. Hmm? Why? Does the dog have to be? I mean, not all dogs. The, the dog behavioral world has become very restrictive and rural oriented. And, and, you know, all dogs must do this and all dogs must do that. Even if you get a dog from puppy, you can say, you know, we're going to walk the dog at this time and then we're going to go to work and then we're going to come home and then we're going to go back to work and the dog's going to be in a crate. Well, Maybe that doesn't suit that dog's schedule. Maybe mm. the dog doesn't want to shit at that time. You yeah. know, you, you need to be flexible like you do with anything. Yeah. But they can absolutely come around and, and live in homes and live with families and, and be part of society and not be a risk. Yeah. And the, the ability to assess that comes with, finding the method that works for them and finding what works for them, not being stuck on if the dog does this, then that's it. They must be euthanized. Or if the dog, we need to apply a method. And then as we're applying it, as we're working with the dog, that's when your educated decisions and your assessment comes into play. You know, now that we've worked with the dog a bit and we've made progress and progress is what generates patience. When mm. people see progress and they, ah, I can see this working. We're not perfect yet, Billy. We're not there, but I can see it. Then you get this patience yeah, because people feel good and they feel it happening. That's when they can make educated assessments. Does this dog fit into our family? Mm. You know, speaking of um, getting seasick, some dogs get car sick. And if people travel all the time and they need to be in their car, you can get medication for that. That's not behavioral. Is it behavioral because it's anxiety in the car? If so, we can fix it. If it's just, if, if it's a, a physical ailment, maybe the vet can fix it or provide medication that allows mm. the dog to be in the car. But if it's a trucker who wants to take their dog everywhere they go all the time, maybe that's not the best dog for them. 
right? So it, there's a lot of variables, but there's a huge success rate and they can absolutely, yeah, fit in. I, 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 lo I love the dogs with the, sometimes we don't even know their background. A lot of times we don't have mm -hmm. no idea. They were just picked up from, by somebody who cared yeah. and ended up somewhere good. And now we're working with the dog and that's all we know. And I so think it's really, it's really important to understand that, that every single dog has got their own personality, do you know, and every yeah. dog has got their yeah. own set of experiences. And, you, you know, and, and I was just thinking when you're talking about the traumatized dogs, you know, it, it is, isn't it? Because some people can have a trauma and pick themselves back up and others at all, you know, it's, they never get over it, do you, you know, so. Yeah. And, and I think that you're right because we do tend to, well, not we, um, the society tends to go, well, a, a dog's a dog. They should all behave like that and all dogs do this. And, and you know, even chick, I'm going to go right down to chickens. Like I've had, had a lot of chickens in my time. Every single one of them has got their own personality. You know, the, my two dogs have got different personalities. The cows have got yeah. different personalities. They've got different voices. You know, the, all my stray cats, they've like we've got four stray cats and they've all got different personalities. You know, one one wants to walk all over our heads all freaking night. But anyway, other than that. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love that. Yeah, yeah you my... need an art. <laughs> that is so cool. I think that's great. I'm I, yeah, I'm I, and the fact too. you see that and you recognize that is amazing. <laughs> like in chickens, that's oh, yeah. so so cool. That's so great. And oh, and you that, in the, the dog world is coming around. There's a lot of talk about you know they're sentient beings. They have emotional yeah. intelligence. They have cognitive skills. Yeah, these cognitive skills are what kept them alive. These cognitive yeah. skills are very important and we need to harness them if we're going to really relate to them so this is what i find so interesting because the the dog world is acknowledging that and saying they're their own beings and they're deserving of autonomy yet they're continuing to push conditioning methods which I'm not saying individual people don't recognize it but the platform and the way that conditioning methods are designed are not they're not designed to fall off of that it to, to bounce off of that they're yeah. designed to teach right from wrong yeah right yeah. so that's why they're so good with puppies and i'm not saying that each individual person who uses conditioning methods doesn't recognize that dogs have personalities i'm just strictly talking the platform and so it's almost like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Yeah. They're trying to stick with conditioning methods, but they're trying to recognize this emotional intelligence and this individuality. Um, and that's what, again, of course, that's what CBT does. Yeah. And because it, it is designed to recognize preconceived thought patterns and to harness cognitive skills driving those thought patterns. Yeah. That's why it's so great when I'm working with people because they see this in their dog, like they see it change and they see their dog just click over and reset the brain and make different, you know, it's, it's so cool. I, I love it. And I think that, you know, it's not just dogs. You know, we've got to, we've got to get better. And this is another one of my peeves. We've got to get better at accepting that animals 
are not lesser beings than us, you know, that they, all animals, that they are sentient beings, they, they have feelings, they have emotions, you know, that they they exist for their own purposes. And, you know, yes, we can have pets and that sort of stuff, which we do, but is, but we've got to take care of them. We've got to allow for the to give them the space to be themselves, you know, to express their personalities without without yep. keeping them in locked in cages, you know, like sure. Yep, I, like, yeah. I put chickens Absolutely. away at night because the foxes will kill them, but during the day, you, you and I don't have any at the moment. Yeah, let them be free, you know, and give them as much freedom as possible. Yep. And and stop just we we've got to you were saying before we do we do uh, the tra- traditions, you know, with all the festivals and that sort of stuff. We've got to stop doing that as a society, as as a whole, humanity as a whole, because, you know, it's um, well, we've been stoning women to death in um, some of those countries for years. That's the way we've always done it. So that's the way we should continue to do it. No, we should actually look at our practices and say, well, we've been doing this for a long time. And is it not not is it productive? Is it effective? Not is it not not that sort of stuff? Is it bloody right? Is it bloody right? It's humane. It's yeah. it's just wrong. It yeah. where are these people? I don't know how they can think that. It's just mind boggling. Yeah. And it, you're totally right. I, I one that just irks the shit out of me is a trophy hunting. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, can I swear on your? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Potty mouth. Um, the, trophy no. hunting. Just that is just yep. that is awful. Bullfighting. Um. Yep. These again. These are money tradition yeah you know sport they'll say it's a sport it these are not a sport a sport has two or more all the participants are willing they know the rules of the game they know the outcome they they're and it's fair they're willing to be there and and it's fair yeah. these are not sports no yeah absolutely it goes way beyond dogs for sure which is why for you know i'm sort of at that point where I just want what I do to be out there, to be known to people so that I can then move forward and continue to to work on changing and help people. There are so many people that are very involved in animal welfare, changing laws, and they're really trying to get that done. And I'd like to have that time to spend and that effort and energy to really yeah. dive into those issues as well, because they're so huge. They're yeah. huge. Yeah. And unnecessary. It does not, you know, I, I constantly say it. I'll say it as every chance I get to say it. We think that humans think they're the superior species. In actual fact, we're probably the lowest on the food chain because we're the only Absolutely. species only species that deliberately goes and harms and deliberately dominates and and you know i'm not i'm not religious at all in fact i i can't stand it but you know somewhere in the bible it says that you know i, I believe it says because i've never read it is that you know we're the caretakers <laughs> of the earth or you know we'll god will leave the earth for us to take care of the animals or what, whatever the hell it says well we're doing a shit job you know and, and it, so you know if everyone who thinks that they're good buddy christians or good buddy religious people why, 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 why are we being so cruel? You know, you, we should be bloody being so bloody wonderful to the animals. It really upsets me. I suppose you can tell. Yes, <laughs> it is, and it should. It is. Speaking of shirts, I mean, I have one. You know, uh, if your religion requires you to kill, start with yourself. 
you know, because yeah. you're not doing anybody any good. It's it's a terrible mentality. It's yeah, whether it's on people or whether it's on animals, we just don't have that right. No, and we've got to start quick. I think I think the the thing with a lot of humanity, which is a, a very odd word, is that is that we keep doing the same old things and and we just say that well well that's what we do but we don't ever question and if we're so intelligent which which I actually think we are I just don't think we're using it right you know if we if we're that intelligent we need to question more we need to keep keep asking well, yes. why am I doing this why am I doing this where did this come from where did this belief come from and is it is it actually the right thing to do so Anyway, that then stop make justifying and finding excuses for not accepting change yeah. and progress because yeah. that can that the two work hand in hand. Yeah. The two work hand. It's either well we've always done it that way, or just coming up with justification. And again, back to to the shelter system that is just. And I'm not saying every single person in it. There's a lot of people in it that are trying and are doing yeah. good things, yeah. but the system, the way it's designed is transactional not transformational it it, it yep. it's designed to not progress and to not accept change and it's it's not fair to people that are trying it's not fair to the the dogs and the cats the animals in there systems need to be open-minded to solutions and progress there needs to be yeah, it's not about trying to find justification for staying the same way or justification for killing animals or justification for being inhumane. We don't need more of that. We need people to exactly what you said. That that's what I wanted to get to is why people need to question why. Mm. If there are people always back to the beginning of our conversation, surrendering their dog or giving up dogs after Christmas or why? What's that? That's how innovations happen. Mm. that's how progress happens that's how solutions are created because people dive deeper they don't just huh really okay that's interesting or it must be somebody's fault or let's blame this person really why don't we ask why what's really going on what's really going on here and when we find that out then we can find solutions mm. and I think we need a lot more voices at the table than the typical mm -hmm. old old white man you know, just constantly being there, too many of them. Anyway, that's another peeve. Now, listen, you <laughs> you you do um yep. so you do this uh remotely online. So anybody can, you know, reach out to yep. you and and do some work with their dog. So that's fantastic. So well, before I ask you where people I've absolutely loved this. You are just bloody fantastic. I love what you do. I've loved this conversation. Of course, I love all these uh, really, really conversations where you can dig deep. But deep where, yeah. where can people find you? Well, my website is www.upwarddogology.com. And on there, I do have also for, I'm open-minded to connecting with, you know, if anyone was offended on any of this, or if you are in the, you know, the shelter world or anything, connect, reach out. I mean, I'm I'm happy to, it's, it's all about awareness and connecting and collaborating in order to, to get it right. It's not about being right. It's about getting it right. So let's, let's do that, right? Let's work together to do that. So on that website, there is the information for the one-on-one -on -one training virtual. 
or live. And then also for uh, just connecting with anyone in the industry. And then I'm on LinkedIn. That is Billy Groom. And Twitter is Upward Dogology. Uh, Facebook is Upward Dogology. I'm 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 everywhere. Yeah. I have a podcast yeah. as well. Oh, do, do yeah, dog dog training disrupted by Upward oh. Dogology. Yeah. So that talks more about, and I've I've spoken at um, lots of conferences, Animal Behavior Society conference and uh, Animal Science and Veterinary Medicine conference, and those are on my link tree, which is Upward Dogology and um you know all the articles i'm in and stuff so if people just want to research it more on their own i appreciate that or you can reach out yeah absolutely all right and i'll put the links in there and and by the way everybody you should uh reach out to billy and to collaborate or to even if even if we've offended you because just don't forget i'm probably the one that offended you not billy she's been been the one that's been defending i'm always creating ways yeah I don't care. Thanks for yeah. uh, I'm, do I'm the one that's saying, and you're going, oh, yes, but, yes, but. Yes. No, you're so, awesome. So you're don't, awesome. Be, don't be offended by Billy if, if I'm the one that's shooting you. <laughs> but anyway, Billy, I have loved, loved this. It's just been such a such an honour speaking with you. I'm going to put all your links in the show notes anyway so people can get hold of you. But um, I've absolutely. Thank you so much, Karen. I, I appreciate this opportunity. It's been a great conversation. You're amazing. I love what you do. Thanks so much, Karen. Well, ditto back to you. I think you're just bloody, bloody wonderful. So um, hopefully we'll catch up again soon. And um, absolutely, you have, you have a lovely night. You too. Take care. Thanks. See ya. Da-da. Oh, guys, that was fantastic. And yes, you know what? You know what? I've got an opinion. I can't stand people hurting animals. And, and, and it's I'm going to keep saying it because just we don't need to bloody hurt animals. They all do have a personality. Every single animal has its own personality and its own reason for being. And I am so bloody thrilled that that people like Billy are doing things differently. And, and I'm not going to make a judgment on the conditioning, on the CBT or whatever, but you know what? It, one size doesn't fit all. And we need to have all these people out there that are trying different things and doing different things. And, and simply because they absolutely understand that every being on this planet exists for its own reasons. And we have to do better. We have to do better with not only dogs, with but with every single animal on this planet. And, and that, that actually also goes to to nature as well we've got to stop trashing the planet we've really got to try harder and i know i go on about this but god damn we've only got one planet we really do we've only got a short life don't bloody waste it on on doing things that well we've always done that to tradition fuck come on like we've we've got to be better than that you know anyway i'm just going down a rabbit hole but i tell you this stuff really gets to me it really gets to me that we keep hurting each other it really does so i i really hope you've loved that and if you want to reach out to billy because she does remote work with you i mean if you've got a dog that you're getting frustrated with and i know that feeling because i've been there reach out to her you know try something different if you've been trying traditional methods it's not working um you really don't want to put that dog down you really don't want to send it to a pound reach out to billy please 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 and just give that dog the chance that it deserves so i really hope you love that i have absolutely loved it of course i have it's about animals I'm going to put all the links in the show notes, so please follow her at the very minimum. Follow her. Go and see what she's doing, and I really hope you got a lot out of that. If 
um, you're at a Christmas party and somebody gets a puppy, please speak up and say to them, you know, this dog isn't just for Christmas. It's going to become an adolescent and maybe it won't be doing what you think it should be doing and don't give up on it. This dog needs to stay with you for life because that's a commitment we should make. So if you're at a Christmas party and that happens, make sure you speak up and I'll absolutely love you for it for the rest of your life. Anyway, that's it for me. I'm going. Um, thanks for joining me every week. Um, absolutely love it. And I'll catch you next week. See ya. Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. If you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com. Tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode. Just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.